Would you please stand with me to read God's word? This morning we are reading from Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the blood that you shed on the cross for us, God. For the inheritance that you have given us, that we are now called children, sons, and daughters of God. Lord, equip us and increase our love for your people of all nations, all people, all languages. Increase our love for them. Amen. You know, this is the second week of our True North Sermon Series, which means it's the second week of that sermon bumper. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not really sure exactly what that sermon bumper says because I get so lost in the dulcet tones of the the voiceover. It's like covered honey. I'm trying to figure out how they got James Earl Jones to do that. Um, The things we can do in our church family. It's pretty impressive, right? When we first moved to Italy, we, we arrived in an unfurnished apartment, which if you guys are unfamiliar of what that's like in Europe, an unfurnished apartment in Italy is literally a series of boxes, four walls, there are no light fixtures, there are no toilets, there are no kitchens, you have to buy all that stuff and install it. Um, we were told that, but we weren't fully aware of what that would entail. When we finally got there, we only had shipped over one lamp because the plugs are different. Uh, we did find an adapter. So I can remember that first night, we were completely overwhelmed with, with what we had done. Um, we're crowded around a tiny little table with our one lamp, naked light bulb, because we had forgotten to send a lampshade in the corner, eating some local pasta, which I'm going to be honest, was not nearly as good as you think it would be. Now, our sending organization um, had not received any new missionaries in a long time. They were enthusiastic upon our arrival. Uh, Two days after we arrived was one of their biannual conferences with like the 15 missionaries in our sending organization from around the country. They were adamant that we should show up. So 36 hours... After I first landed in Italy, I found myself renting a car, driving the tiny, dangerous, terrifying one-lane roads up into the mountains of central Italy to go to what was billed as a hotel. Um, It was really kind of a barn. Um, They had some radiator heat. It was the middle of winter. We had a child the size of a football that we spent most of the time trying to keep warm. It was madness. Now, on top of all of that, being the first missionaries that they had received in a long time meant that all of the other missionaries there were fluent in Italian, so the speaker they brought in for their conference was a local Italian pastor. Otello from Citta di Castello. I will never, ever forget Otello. 
largely because I did not understand one word he said to me for four straight days. We arrived just in time for the very first session, which the first session was a worship service. The proper way to kick off any conference like that. I sat down in this room, in this strange barn-like structure, not understanding a word anyone was saying to me, thinking, where did I go wrong? What were we thinking? And Otello from Citta di Castello stands up and he begins to pray. And as he prayed, I began to sob. Not because I was overwhelmed with the gravity of my situation, I was. Not because I was exhausted and terrified, I was. Not because I was still jet lagged, I was. But because as he prayed, I realized that I don't understand a word this man is saying. But my God does. And in that moment, for the first time in my life, I began to realize the true grandeur of the God that I serve. I had said it over and over and over again. I had sang about the children, red and yellow, black and white. I never realized what it meant. I never understood that my God was in fact bigger than my white American Southern Nashville childhood because I had never experienced a God bigger than that. For the first time, I got a tiny glimpse of the passage that Joanna just read for us in Revelation chapter 5. You were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. Every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. You see, we as followers of Christ, we believe, we stand on the fact that Jesus someday will return. There will be complete restoration. Revelation is a book that tells us a lot about what that restoration is going to look like. It is a book that contains a lot of symbolism. Numbers in Revelation are incredibly important. They mean something. If you went home this afternoon and you read the book of Revelation from beginning to end, you would see seven separate times John writes about the kingdom of heaven and how it contains 
Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, seven being the perfect number. This is the perfect picture of God's perfect plan. The beauty and diversity of heaven. The perfect picture of Imago Dei. This idea that all of us, every single one of us, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group was intentionally knit together in the image of God so that our diversity and unity reflects His creativity and beauty into the world. Now, if you look back at this passage, you'll see every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, one thing that is not mentioned is every race. These these things, the original language, it's, it's ethnos, ethnicity. The idea of, of people, groups, nations that, that are set apart not by physical characteristics, but by shared cultures, shared religions, shared laws, shared lands, shared languages. There is no mention of race because what we see in the beginning in Genesis is God only created one race. That is the human race. Now, he created intentionally diversity within the human race, but it's all one race, all made in the image of God. This beautiful picture that we see in Revelation 5, it is not just the incredible picture of eternal unity as the people of God, but it's a reflection of the original plan. This is how it started. This is how it will end. But this is not where we are today. This is not our current reality. We live in a nation, we live in a society that is barely any closer to the perfect unity and reconciliation described in Revelation than we were a generation ago or a generation before that. It's the world we live in. Over these next couple of weeks, we're going to explore that world. We're going to explore how it should be, how it was designed to be, how it is today, and what is our role in it. Now, as we explore the concept, the reality of the racial divide in the real world that we live in, and God's perfect picture of unity amongst all of his people. We, we talk about racial unity because we long for the day 
that everyone is unified under the banner of Jesus Christ, and that our diversity and our unity is seen as representative of God and His creativity and His beauty. Now, so often when we talk about that in the South, we focus on the relationship between the black community and the white community. It is not because that is the only issue. It is only representative of a much larger problem. So often we focus on that because of the reality of the long history of generational trauma and centuries of blatant abuses that have led us to where we are today. But hear me say, it is only representative of a much larger issue And as we explore it, our desperate desire is that all nations, all tribes, all languages, all people groups are unified. We recognize the atrocities that our culture has done to the Japanese within our borders during World War II. Irish immigrants when they arrived. Hispanic communities today as they arrive, all of which are indicative of our fallen and broken people. You know, I was blessed to grow up in a family where we were taught to not see color. I can stand here today and I can honestly tell you that neither of my parents ever discriminated anyone based on the color of their skin. Our dinner table, I considered to be very diverse. I also recognize in my adulthood as I spend more time and effort and prayer exploring this and seeking biblical guidance on God's plan for racial unity in our country, I recognize that my upbringing put me in a bit of a disadvantage because being taught not to see color, A, prevented me in many ways from celebrating the beauty and diversity. B, it allowed me to trick myself into thinking that because my family wasn't racist, no one else was either. Because I never saw people treated differently based on the color of their skin, then people weren't treated differently based on the color of their skin. I was ignorant These last few years, God has put a burden on my heart and on our church to rid ourselves of that ignorance. You 
Did you know that as good as the economic numbers are today, as low as unemployment is today, black unemployment is higher right now than it was in 1968? That's real. Black poverty is two and a half times higher than white poverty. Due to lack of access to proper prenatal and medical care, in the United States of America, the most advanced society in the history of our planet, the infant mortality rate is over twice as high for blacks as it is for whites. These statistics are not up for debate. I do not bring them to you to try to make you feel guilty. I bring them to you this morning to try to accurately paint the picture of where we are today relative to God's perfect picture. Many of you grew up in an environment that that never discussed this. You hear in uh, social media on the news today the words white privilege and it makes you cringe. I recently heard a friend of mine is African American describe white privilege as the luxury of assuming every child had the same chance that you did? That's me. That's my world. That's something that I have to confront and reconcile in my life. Racial dispersity. Is real. Whether or not you admit it, whether or not you believe it, your personal thoughts do not change it. We live in a world where people are absolutely treated differently based on the color of their skin. Why does that matter? It matters because it's important to God. And because it's important to God, it should be important to us. We as Christ followers should be the ones to take the lead on living what we say we believe. We should be the ones that take the lead on living out God's perfect picture of unity and equality and reconciliation. We should be the ones that stand in the gap. The gospel bridges the gap for us. The chasm that existed between me and my Creator was bridged by the gospel of Jesus Christ.
He made a way. That same gospel is what bridges the racial divide in our nation and in our world. In his final command to his closest followers after his resurrection, before his ascension, Matthew 28, Acts 1, 8, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, there's that word ethnos, ethnicities, all people groups. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group. That was Jesus' command to his followers. It is his desire that we cultivate this type of diversity and unity and equality in his church. You know, my wife in her recent years, has become kind of the classic crazy plant lady. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm into it. I'm getting there. If you ever need to find her, you can probably come to our backyard where she will spend hours a week with her plants, making sure the soil is right, picking out the rocks, which we're in one of these great East Nashville new builds, which is built on about a quarter inch of topsoil and all the rest gravel. It ain't easy to cultivate the plants. It's hard work. It will never be perfect. It is worth every bit of effort that she puts into it. We are called to cultivate that type of diversity in God's people. Our very mission statement, the mission statement of the church at Lachlan Springs and our larger family of churches is to bring the whole gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole person, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, anywhere, anytime, to anybody. It is impossible for us to live out the mission and vision that God has laid on our hearts without engaging the bodies that don't look like us. We do so not simply for diversity's sake. We are not cultivating diversity so that we can fly a flag and say, look at us, look at how cool we are. We cultivate diversity and equality. We cultivate unity because it glorifies God to celebrate and affirm the dignity and worth of all people and all nations. 
It glorifies God to celebrate the dignity and worth of those that he has created in his own image. It is an act of worship and obedience to pursue that perfect plan for his people, for his church. Therefore, we will be about that. Now, it is so easy for me to stand up here on a Sunday morning and say this. But let's be honest. In real world practical application, this is hard. This is awkward. We don't want to talk about it because I don't want to offend anybody. Some of you have, have even um, cringed a little bit at some of the language I'm using. He said black as he's supposed to say African-American. I, I don't know. I have asked, I've asked a lot of people and I get a bunch of different answers. The consistent answer I get is whatever vernacular you choose, say it with respect. That, that's what I am going to attempt to do. These conversations get awkward because we just don't know what to say. It's hard and it's awkward because many of us don't want to consider the fact that we haven't earned everything that we have. None of us like to think about the fact that, that maybe my success, that I am more financially secure than the people that live down the street from me. I, I, I like to, to think that it's because I've worked so hard. I've taken advantage of all the opportunities that were given to me. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. And if that guy just did the same thing, that he would be in the same position I am. We don't like to consider the fact that maybe it's because some of us got a head start. It's hard and it's awkward because we do not like to face the ugly, brutal history of our nation. And how it affects our society today. We can talk about slavery. And celebrate the fact that it ended. And we like to kind of leave it there. That was just kind of a terrible season of life in a young nation. But we're past it. Civil War, Jim Crow laws, segregation, on and on and on and on. It continues till today. We don't like to talk about it. It's hard and it's awkward because none of us want to consider our own flaws. 
We want to excuse ourselves as we walk our dog at 10 o'clock at night. We see a young minority man on the sidewalk in the dark, and our instinct is to cross over to the other side. I'm just being smart. We don't like to talk about it. Finally, and maybe most prominent is the fact that it's hard and it's awkward because we recognize we can't fix it. I would love to think that I'm going to preach on this today. Seven days from now, I'm going to preach on this again. And on Monday, August the 26th, we got it all figured out. Nobody has to talk about racial unity, racial racial reconciliation anymore because Hannah preached so good, it's done. doesn't work that way. And innately, inherently, we know that. In fact, I believe most of us recognize and understand that this is an issue that humanity has been battling against since Genesis chapter 11. And it is not an issue that will be fixed based on our own human strengths and efforts. This is a gospel issue and this is a God-sized issue. Therefore, many of us think, then I'm just going to leave it to God. I can't do anything. Guys, just like we prayed earlier this morning... We are blessed and have the great honor of entering into God's service. Cultivating in our times today, cultivating that diversity and unity and equality that reflects His diversity and beauty and perfect plan, His glory into the world. Even doing that, we recognize that it is only God that will completely bridge that gap. Prominent civil rights activist, Dr. John Perkins, in his book, One Blood, says it beautifully. The problem of reconciliation in our country and in our churches is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one that only the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can heal. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. The problem is that there is a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing we can be reconciled to God, but not be reconciled to our Christian brothers and sisters who don't look like us. 
brothers and sisters with whom we are in fact one blood. 1 John 4, we love that passage. That's the one that says, we love because God first loved us. The passage goes on to say, if we do not love our brothers and sisters in the same way, we do not in fact love God. It is a God-sized problem. It is one that we as a congregation will lean into because it is one that we as individuals deal with in the real world. If we can't fix it this week, what can we do? I want to give you three challenges over the next seven days. Step one, recognize where we are, where we are as a society, where we are as a church, and where we are as individuals. Step two, be willing to confront that reality. Lean into it. Step three, begin diligently, desperately seeking God as to your role. Do not expect anything of this congregation that you are not willing to do in your living room. Here's the good news. We as Christ followers have a hope, a hope that does not disappoint as described by Paul in Romans. While we wait, while we cultivate, that hope says that we can also celebrate that the victory is already won. We can celebrate Revelation chapter 5, that there will be a day where every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group will come together as a unified body and spend eternity worshiping and praising our Savior as one. There perhaps is no greater symbol of that unity in Christ than the communion table. This morning we have the opportunity to receive these elements as one unified body. To celebrate what has been done in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and celebrate the victory that has already been won. In just a moment, our deacons are going to pass out the elements. You're going to receive two cups, one stacked on top of the other. I would ask that you hold those for just a moment. Reflect on the table. Reflect on the cross, the broken body, the spilt blood. Celebrate the fact that it did not end on that cross, but three days later the tomb was empty. And celebrate the promise of complete and total restoration that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, will then receive the elements as one unified body. As we prepare, would you pray with me? God, we are grateful. for the promise of the victory that has already been won. We ask you this morning to break our hearts for our community. Break our hearts for your people. Show us how to celebrate, to elevate. Those that you have created in your image. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.